Good morning. Isn't it awkward when he says, hey, turn around and shake someone's hand, and you feel like you got enough time for maybe one or two people, and you're like, the rest of you are like, hi, sorry, got to go back to my seat now before the pastor calls me out. So I love that, and I love that we'll be able to just share uh, together in fellowship and joy. It's good to be in God's house. It's good to be able to sing songs of worship, open the word, and, and just hear what God might want to say to us. And on that, I want, to be, I want to just jump right in there today. I want to begin by reading the passage of Scripture Pray, and then we're going to just take off into Ephesians um, as we begin a, a new just season of walking through this epistle of Paul. Um, and so chapter 1, if you're there already, please join me uh, on your devices or in your paper book, Bible, whatever you got. Just join with me uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 1. Let's read. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ which is to fulfill his own good plan. And that plan is, at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that the Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Let's pray. Father, thank you <clears throat> for this opportunity, this moment today to, to gather and to just open your word. And Lord, it's my earnest prayer that we would just lend our hearts and our ears to you, that you would speak to us through the text. Lord, my words are not important. It's what your word says that carries the weight. And so I humble myself before you and I ask that you would just speak to us today. I encourage us, Lord, as we begin this journey through this letter of Ephesians, we humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've wanted to cover <clears throat> one of these book studies for a while, and Ephesians has been on my heart for probably a couple of years, and the reason why is because I believe that Scripture speaks to us today, amen? I believe it is just as applicable and practical today as it was when it was first written. And when you consider the purpose of this little letter that Paul wrote and what, the reason that he wrote it, and you bring that into our day today, I think that there's a lot of things that we could apply and we could agree that it's needed. And so you think about people who were confused with doctrines, they were confused with disobedience, and they were just kind of getting off track. How many of you know we live in a world today that's confused? 
We have confusion all around us, right? Whether it's with the climate control, who do you believe? I don't know. The politics, I mean, who do you believe? There's confusion there. There's gender confusion. There's a lot of confusion today in our world. And we as a church are pretty good at usually pointing that stuff out, right? We recognize it and we talk about it. But I think sometimes it's important for us as a church to turn around and look in a mirror and see ourselves and see the possibility that we too also can be from time to time confused. And what I mean by that, I was like, just who are we? Redefining who we are and what we're all about, right? Maybe we get caught up into some sin and and we find ourselves so deep into some sin and we start questioning who we are. Does God still love me? Can God ever forgive me for this? And we start to kind of lose track of who we are and we kind of lose our identity. We're in an identity crisis. That's why I believe that the book of Ephesians is as relevant today as it ever was before. And so Paul's heart was that his people, the readers, would recognize that they were spiritually rich in Christ because they were living like paupers. And I think sometimes the church lives like we don't know who we are. And there's this identity crisis. And so my hope is to speak to that today as we look at this letter in Ephesians. So a few quick facts, just background stuff of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, some have said that the, the, the book of Romans is like the king of Paul's epistles, and where Ephesians would be the queen. And what's different about it, it's the only letter that Paul wrote um, in, in prison especially, but it's the only letter that he's not addressing a church discipline issue. Like in Corinthians, he's dealing with some church uh, dysfunction, and he's correcting them. And it's not like Colossians or Galatians where he's dealing with some sort of a heresy or a a bad teaching that he's correcting. It's simply a good, beautiful communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first three chapters, he focuses on the doctrine of the gospel. In the last three chapters, it's effect on the lives of the people. And so there's no heresy. There's no dealing with problems. It's just a clean, pure declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, And so... Have you ever seen a treadmill that, that, you know, somebody turns it on and they turn it to like fast, like running speed, and they're not on it yet? And they stand on the side and they start doing this, right? And then at the last second, they just jump on it and boom, they're going. That's what I feel like Paul is doing in this letter. Because he begins in, in verse 1 with just the normal greeting, like, hey, I'm Paul, I'm writing to you guys, and, you know, blessings and peace and grace and what. Bam, he just jumps right into the meat of what I want to share with you today. And so today's message is spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Have you ever dreamt, I don't know about you, but I grew up without much money. We were kind of a poor family. We relied on food stamps and commodities as a kid, hand-me-downs, garage sales. We just didn't have a lot of money. The car we drove was one of those that, hey, mom, will you drop me off three blocks from school so my friends won't see it, kind of a car. You know, and so there was this daydream thing that happened in my brain from time to time. I would often wonder and hope and imagine, what would it be like to one day discover that by mistake somewhere in the past, I ended up in the wrong family? And I really belonged to a rich family. How cool would that be, right? And it was only amplified when my dad and I would have a fight. I'd be like, whoa, sure, I wish I'd find out I had a real dad out there and we're millionaires and I can leave this life. And I mean, that's just kind of a, a weird deal, but I wonder how many people think that. You know, would it be cool if you, you grew up with very little and all of a sudden you realized, hey, I'm not poor, but I'm really, really, I'm rich. That's the heart behind what Paul is trying to share with the Ephesian church, almost preemptively trying to protect them from falling into any doctrinal issues or any disobedience issues and knowing who they are. It comes right down to the identity of who they are in Christ. And so that's his heart, and he wanted them to know that they had everything that they needed for godly living, right? And I would say, so do we. 
So I need to say at the very beginning that this is a highly contested chapter in Ephesians because it brings up a difficult doctrine of predestination. And there's a couple interpretations of that, but I'm going to tell you briefly where we are at on that. Predestination is not about God picking and choosing who will and who will not be saved before they're ever even born. But the word predestination simply means it's predestination. A destination has been predetermined beforehand for a group of people. The question is, who? Now, here's the problem. In our Western world, we interpret this on an individual basis. And we look at it, God chooses one person, one person, one person. But we need to understand it in the culture of where Paul was at in his day when he wrote it. Because there were the Jews who were God's chosen people. Amen? And so, outside of the Jewish race, there were all of the other the word is called Gentiles, which would include us as well. And so when he talks about the good news of the gospel is that God, before the foundations of the earth, had a plan to reconcile all people back to himself through the gospel of Jesus. That is the predestination, those who would believe in Jesus to a predetermined end. I don't know if that helps you or hurts you or not, but the question is, whose destination is set beforehand? Those who are unconditionally chosen or those who's placed their faith in Christ Jesus. Here's the key to this whole thing, I believe, and we can't miss this. Look at who Paul is writing to. Verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people, the saints um, in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. I want you to say something with me on the count of three. I want you to say faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay? One, two, three. Okay, who's he talking to? You guys, I, the first service did the same thing. You had a perfect, it's two seconds delay and then we forget, right? Who's he talking to? The us that he refers to throughout this whole passage is the faithful in Christ Jesus. Those who've placed their faith in Christ Jesus. Don't forget that. That is key through the whole thing. It's repeated over and over. In fact, it's repeated about 10 times in these 13, 14 verses that something along the lines of in Christ, in him, in Jesus. The idea is a group of people who place their faith in Christ. This is who he's referring to. All right, are you with me so far? So Paul starts with this typical greeting, who he is and who he's writing to, and uh, he gives them a little salutation. And then verse 3 begins, and we don't see this in the English version, uh, but in the Greek, and I don't know Greek, so it's all Greek to me, but a lot of scholars have said that uh, it is one long, giant, run-on sentence. From, chapter th- from verse 3 to all the way to verse like 12, 13 is one long sentence. And you almost get the picture of the Apostle Paul with a pen in his hand, and he's just writing so much that he just don't even stop to do periods and commas like we would today. One huge sentence. And packed inside this one long sentence in the Greek is a wealth of information that I believe we need to understand about who we are in Christ. He calls them the spiritual blessings. And so verse 3, all praise to God. Notice that, all praise to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because, not because we're good people, but because we are united with Christ Jesus. Okay, so notice, first off, in just verse 3, we see the source of these blessings. We see the spirituality of them. They're not carnal blessings, um, although God can bless us carnally with things here on this earth. But these are spiritual blessings. And notice he says every, so every spiritual blessing, the sufficiency of the blessings that God bestows upon them. God the Father is the, the source, and we have the, their spiritual blessings. I mean, tangibly speaking, um, we've seen people that are blessed, and God can bless people, but we also know that it's very fragile, isn't it? Somebody could be a millionaire today and broke tomorrow. 
Um, it's interesting that when we talk about economies and the instability in the economy and the unknowing and the politicians that sign bills that get their hands on your, your money, there's one economy that has never shaken, that has never moved, and it's the economy of God. Amen? And that's so cool to know. They're like, while this is all down here uncertain, there is something that is certain and is God's riches in heaven. And when he says, those who place their faith in the gospel, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And then he begins to give us this list. And here's what you need to know. Uh, in the Greek, there are probably around 24 verbs 20 of which God is responsible for, four in which we are responsible for. But of these verbs, as he starts to lay out in this passage, they are all in the aorist tense. And what that means, it's a completed action. It's not something that will be done or it's going to continue to be done, be doing or done, but it's something that has been completed, something that has been done. And so just keep that in mind as we begin walking through uh, this list. Look at verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Who's us? Faithful in Christ, he chose us, those faithful in Christ, in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, what does that mean? Holy means to be sacred. It means to be pure. It means to be worthy of God. Without fault means to be blameless, without blemish. Now, I don't know about you, but when I consider my own life, I'm anything but holy and I'm anything but blameless. Ask my wife. She will tell you. I'm an imperfect individual. But the good news is, is when he says that he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And that's what matters. It's like the way God looks at his people who've placed their faith in the gospel. He says, you know what? I don't see them individually more like that. I see them through the blood of my son Jesus. And I no longer see them as guilty or stained. But I see them without blemish. And I see them holy, worthy of me. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So he says, holy and without fault in his eyes. The way God sees his people who are in Christ. This is the gospel, the good news. Verse 5. God decided in advance, or this um, pre... Uh, I just lost the word. It's not even in the New Living Translation. Predestination, predestined. Um, God decided in advance to adopt us. Who's the us? The faithful in Christ. He's talking about the church here. To adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through... Jesus Christ. Listen to this. That is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, I don't know about you, but I think adoption is a precious, precious thing. For whatever reason, a child is without a family, and to have another family who has no responsibility to do so, look at that child and say, I want to give them a home. I want to give them my name. I want to bless them. I want to bring them in. It is a beautiful picture because it's intentional, right? And so the same thing is true when we come to faith in Christ. He says, hey, the same things happened to you. I, it was my great pleasure to do so, something I wanted to do, but I included you into my family. And so we have this picture of adoption where God adopts those who place their faith in Christ through the gospel. He adopts them into his own family. And you know what? He wanted to do it. You know what that tells me? You and I belong if we place our faith in Christ. That's encouraging as well, right? All right, so you can almost see the excitement build in the Apostle Paul as he's laying this stuff out. And I, I got a little carried away in the first service. Um, I've lost a little energy since then, and so hopefully I'll be more mellow today. But, but hang in there with me. So uh, adopted into his own family. That's what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Verse 6. So we praise God for his glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Again, those in Christ, his grace is poured out. Now, what is Grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You know what it means? You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. 
But it says he pours it out. He lavishes it on us. That means over and above is what he does with his grace. Are you thankful for his grace? We sing the song, Amazing Grace. How many know it's amazing, right? So his grace is poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Verse 7, he is so rich. He is so rich. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? His bank account never goes dry. He is so rich. But listen to this. He's rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. Now, this is a big one, and we understand this because it's the whole reason Jesus came. It's the picture of redemption. Redemption is to liberate somebody who's captive by way of ransom. Now, we know that we were held bondage to sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and all of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And so we're in a bad way. We were prisoners in bondage to sin. And the good news is Jesus came down and he paid a ransom. The ransom he paid was what? His own blood, his own life. So he paid a ransom to liberate or to rescue those who trust in him. So in Christ, we are redeemed. Do you feel redeemed today? Do you feel liberated today? I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes. I wonder if God forgets. I don't think he does. But just imagine you go through a whole life and you're like, I believe God forgave me when I came to him. I believe. But my fear is one day I'm going to stand before him at the end and there's going to be one that he overlooked. And somehow it's going to end up on the books. And I'm like, that was a doozy, right? The good news is, is he, he forgives us of all of our sins. He clears the record. He cancels it all out. And Psalms tells us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Another verse says, in the deepest sea of forgetfulness, that's where he puts those sins. That's good news today. If you don't feel forgiven, you need to know that in Christ you are, past tense, you have been forgiven. That changes a lot of things when I wonder about my identity. God, do you still love me? Well, I don't feel lovable today, but I know what your word says. And you say, because I am you, I have been forgiven. Why? Not because of my good works or my good um, obedience, but because of Jesus' ransom and perfect sacrifice he paid in order to make me free and forgiven. And that's why it's called the good news, right? So his grace is poured out on us. He's rich in kindness. That he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. Verse 8. He has showered or lavished his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. How many know all wisdom comes from God? And he says, if any of you lack wisdom, James says, ask God who gives it liberally. So I believe that God is the source of all wisdom and he showers his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. I believe that we have everything that we need. We run into a problem like, God, I don't know how to handle this. What do you want me to do? He gives us insight. He gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding. That's pretty cool as well. Verse 9 says, God has now revealed, and this is the cool part that we get to see from our perspective in history that a lot of people had no clue of. See, in Paul's time, we believe that this letter was delivered um, by Tychicus, I believe his name was. He was a helper of Paul, and Paul was in prison when he wrote this, and Tychicus delivered Ephesians and Colossians to the proper places, but in Colossians, he's dealing with some heresy, and you almost sense Paul is like heading it off at the pass, like, I want to make sure that these guys truly understand, and they need to understand what the mysterious plan is about Christ, because up to that point, it's all the Jews. The Jews are the chosen, the Gentiles are out. And what God says, hey, before the foundation of the earth, you want to talk about predestination, God predetermined before the foundation of the world that he had a way and a plan to reconcile all mankind to himself. And he talks about this in Galatians as well. He made out of the two people one new people. And so what that tells us is that we now belong. That's the mysterious 
plan of God. He breaks it down. It's not Shane's word. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, who's the we? The faithful in Christ. We have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and it makes everything work out according to his plan. So we have been revealed this mysterious plan. In verse 12, he kind of picks up again. God's purpose was that the Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now, thank God for the and now, right? And now you Gentiles, because if you're not born a Jew, you are a Gentile, as I am. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. Now, I don't expect you to get crazy or anything. But when I'm struggling with my identity and I read something like that and I truly listen to what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us through his word, and this is not what I think about me, this is not what other people think about me, but this is God's declaration of his church. Those who place their faith in Christ, he's like, this is who you are. This is your identity. No confusion there with God, right? This is who you are. It should change us. Amen? It should begin to well up within us like, hey, wait a minute, this is cool, right? This list of spiritual, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, and he just lists them one after the other, after the other, after the other. This mysterious plan that we're included because of what Christ did on our behalf, he predestined that that was the plan all along. That that's where he was going to do it. In fact, I heard someone say it's not, not he's choosing certain people for salvation and not choosing others, but he's making sure that the destination has been predetermined. Imagine an airplane leaving from Dallas to Chicago. It has been predetermined that the airplane would make the trip from Dallas to Chicago. Make sense? It isn't know who's going to be on the plane, but whosoever will get on the airplane, they're going to make the destination. Amen? That's pretty cool. So for those who are in Christ, he's like, hey, if you're in Christ, I got a plan for you. It's been predetermined, and here's what it is. You've been adopted. You've been sealed. You've been uh, brought into the family. You've been showered with kindness. You've been shown the mysterious plan, and on and on and on and on. He reveals these spiritual blessings. Why are you not smiling? All right, so this inheritance he talks about, verse 11. <clears throat> because we're united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, who? Those faithful in Christ, the church, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. This inheritance, Galatians 3.29 says, if you belong to Christ, that is, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Do you remember what God told Abraham? He said, Abraham, I've chosen you, and I've blessed you. And I'm going to bless the whole world through you, right? Your people, I'm going to bless them. And so listen to what Paul says in Galatians. He says, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. And if you're Abraham's descendants, you are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. You're heirs according to promise. The promise made to Abraham now belongs to the one people group who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, I'll continue because that's not impressive to you either. This is great inheritance. And I don't know what it's going to be like, folks. I don't know what it's going to be like because we see things in monetary value and tangible things like great land or big bank accounts and all that stuff. And, but Paul says in another place, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither can enter the heart of man what God has prepared for them. I don't know what it's going to be, but I think it's awesome. Right? This inheritance that's ours 
Because we are in Christ? Oh, and my favorite one of all, verse 13. He says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. Say, heard the truth. Okay, so you heard the truth. The good news, that is the gospel about Jesus, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, notice it didn't say before the foundation of the world when God chose you, but no, when you heard and when you believed. That's key. When you heard and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. And listen to what he did. By giving you the Holy Spirit, he gave you himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He gave you a part of himself. God's guarantee he said the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. So he gives this Holy Spirit to us. The Colossians, or excuse me, Corinthians says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you? And what God says is like, listen, I made a promise that I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to redeem them through the gospel. And, and as just making good on my promise, like earnest money, if you're buying a home, I'm putting a deposit down to ensure that I will follow through on what I promised that I would do. You know, we put big numbers down usually on earnest money because we want to convince the seller that we're committed to the contract. Hey, I'm going to come back and I'm going to fulfill the contract. We get the idea of, of earnest money, right? Listen, God made a promise. And his earnest money, he gave us himself that lives in us. The Holy Spirit, he says, hey, listen, while you wait for this all to be complete, I'm going to give you the gift of myself. He's going to live in you as a guarantee and the Bible says that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Folks, we're not there yet. We're saved by faith. We're being saved. And one day it'll be complete. We will be saved. Amen? And so this inheritance that he promised long ago. You know, the moon. Um, sometimes you get a beautiful picture of a full moon. I love looking at the moon and how bright it can be sometimes. And we know that the moon doesn't have light on its own but it reflects the light that it sees. We don't see it from our perspective, but somewhere up there, the moon is reflecting the light of the sun. And the moon stands as a promise to us that the sun's shining somewhere. We may not be able to see it, but it's a promise that the sun's going to come back. Amen? Listen to this. The Holy Spirit is God's promise that the sun is going to come back. Church, that should be an encouragement to each one of us. He said, hey, he's identified you as his own by giving you his spirit, and his spirit is a seal guaranteeing that he will come back. Again, and so here's the question I got for you today as you consider this every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Are you a believer? Have you placed your faith in Christ Jesus? And if the answer to that is yes, then I just got to tell you, you are rich, rich. You're rich, rich. Do you believe it? Better yet, are we living like it? Because I think we struggle sometimes in this identity crisis. We're confused about who we are in Christ. And we'll wrestle around over and over and over again. We, have, we better get out of the starting gate because we don't even know who we are. And we struggle with our own identities. I had someone say a few months ago, like, we're called as men to lead our homes, to lead our families, and to lead the next generation of leaders. The problem is those that are called to lead don't even know who they are. They're struggling with their identity. And I believe this is a very important truth for us to know. We need to know who we are and whose we are. And if he says this is every spiritual blessing that has already been done when you place your faith in Christ, that's what's in your account, if you will, in the heavenly places. I don't know about you, but it should change our outlook on life. It should change our approach to God the Father. Notice this. It says, verse 3, all praise to God. All praise to who? Why? Because he's the source of all the spiritual blessings. Look at verse 6. So we praise God for his glorious grace that he has poured out on us. We praise God. Look at verse, um, let's see, 11, 12, 13, 14. He did this so we would praise and glorify God. 
And so the idea of who we are and knowing who we are in Christ should affect us and it should affect the way we approach God. And how many of you know that praise is what God is worthy of? What is praise? It's making a big deal about God. We're really good at doing it in football games. Amen? You're like, oh, preacher, you're, you're meddling now. You got to get off that. Is God not more worthy than a football player and a team? He redeemed our souls. We're good at praise. We know what it is. It's expressing <sighs> commendation, approval of. That's praise. Here's what God doesn't want. He doesn't want spectators. He wants his people to recognize who they are and to give the praise that he so deserves. And that may make some people uncomfortable because you're like, I'm just not really an expression kind of a person. It's okay. I think that uh, we all have our own way. But let me just tell you what I, I, I experienced a few weeks ago. We were in Dallas, and we were at a church, and they were playing these worship songs. I didn't know one of them, y'all. I probably should listen to Christian music more and less of Journey as I'm driving around, but, <clears throat> but it's some good music. Anyway, so they're playing these songs. I didn't know any of them, and I'm like, this is, you know, this is the time of worship. This is the time that we're to engage in worship and praise of God, and so I feel like I'm missing out because I don't know the songs, and everybody's like worshiping and praising, and I'm going, reading the lyrics, right? You've been there. I, I see your faces. You're like, I don't know this song. Me neither. And then we just look at each other. What do we do in that moment? Here's what I did. And it, it was a game changer. I, I don't know the song, so I just closed my eyes. And I listened to the words being spoken. There's some powerful doctrine and truth in some of those songs that we sing. Amen? I'm like, I don't know the song. I don't know the melody. So I'm not going to embarrass myself or anyone else by trying to sing it. So God, let me just meditate on what I'm hearing. Come from the lips of your people praising you. And that became a form of worship. And I was moved during worship. I didn't just... Music's over, okay, next, let's get to the sermon. It was like, man, I felt like I had a moment with, with God. Praise is special, and I, I think we miss out so much on giving honor where honors due, giving praise where praise is due, because he is worthy of all of our praise, especially if you consider all that he's done for us. And Paul's going to unpack this a little bit later. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've been called to. Because he's done so much for us. He's worthy of our praise. So it should spill over into our lives. Amen? So I want to challenge you to count your blessings. You know that old song we used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it may surprise you what the Lord has done or what God has done. Um, if you want to know just how really rich you are, then you can add up everything that you have that money cannot buy and death cannot take away. That's your true riches. Amen? And according to this passage we just read, we, if we've placed our faith in Christ Jesus, are rich, rich. Amen? And so I would say this. If you're a believer, this is your identity. We shouldn't struggle with that. We should move beyond this and know the place from where we stand and, and where we move. We're like, this is who I am in Christ. Not because I made it up or I, I made the rules. This is what God declared about those who are in Christ. And so this is who I am. The thing is, do you believe it? You can believe, like, well, Shane said so. No, don't believe it because Shane said so. I just read it from the scriptures. We need to believe it because God declared it about those who place their faith in Christ, the faithful in Christ. His word's not mine, right? So believe it. You hear it and you're like, you know what? I believe that's true. One of the hardest things to do is go from belief to appropriating it to ourselves. Like, I believe it's true, but I have a hard time believing it of myself. And so I want to encourage you to appropriate the truths of the Scripture. And what that means is just to take it specifically for yourself. God, 
Okay, this is hard for me to wrap my brain around, but here it is. I believe all of that. God wouldn't lie to me, so I believe that. And so I just want to appropriate that now and take that as myself. You said that you've given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because I am united with Christ. Before you even formed the world, you chose those who would believe in Christ to be holy and without fault in your eyes. God, you see me as holy? You see me as blameless? That's pretty cool, right? You adopted me? You, adopt, you brought me into your family and now I'm a co-heir with Christ? I'm in. You wanted me and it gave you great pleasure to do that? The grace that you've poured on me? The fact that you purchased my freedom, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins? That he paid a ransom to liberate me and free me, forgave all of my sins as far as the east is from the west. You showered your kindness, your wisdom, your understanding. You revealed to me your mysterious plan. You've given me an inheritance. You sealed me until the day of redemption. Woo! That should change us. To believe it, to appropriate it by faith, to remind yourself of it. Because I think we'll go through seasons in life where we get shipwrecked or we get off the track and we have to go back and go, who am I? There's a powerful moment in The Lion King. Now, I'm not advocating for a Disney movie and I'm not woke, but let me just tell you, I, I watched the clip this morning. I've been accused before. That guy, he quotes, uh, he's quoted you know, Andy Stanley from the pulpit. I'll quote John Wayne if it makes sense to what I'm talking about. <laughs> Pilgrim. Right? So in the movie, The Lion King, you know, Simba, he kind of messes up and he gets his dad into a jam. His dad dies. And Simba knows it's his fault. And so Simba is in an identity crisis. He runs from home. He's fearful. He runs from home. People are going to find out. And he assumes a new identity in a foreign land. And there's that one point where that goofy monkey shows up, Rafiki. Right? And he starts singing these weird songs. And he says, ah, you're a baboon and I'm not. And Simba says, I think you're confused. He goes, no, son, you're the one that's confused. You don't even know who you are. Simba says, I, I used to know who I was, but I'm not so sure anymore. He's confused. Rafiki says, I know who you are. You're the son of Mufasa, right? Mufasa. And all of a sudden, he's like, has this, uh, he runs to the water. What is he looking for dad? And he sees his reflection, and he realizes for the first time, hey, my dad's in me. And that really cool moment when the clouds come up, and his dad says, Simba, you've forgotten me. No, I've not forgotten you. You're my father. I'm your son. And he says, remember who you are. That's a powerful illustration when I believe that God might be speaking to some of us today. We get wayward. Maybe we screw up. and We find ourselves in a distant land trying to just hide under the radar. Holy Spirit shows up and says, hey, remember who you are. You're confused right now. You're having an identity crisis. You need to remember that he's in you, right? That he's in you. You're a child of God. Remember who you are. I think it's a message that the church needs to hear today. Remember who you are. Remind yourself of it. Walk in it. Live like you're blessed. When people say, Shane, are you blessed? Well, how's everything going? Hey, I'm blessed. I had one of the most stressful weeks I've had this week. Uh, without going into detail, took my oldest son to the ER twice in one week. It changes things when it's your own kid laying on the bed. You know that. But it was crazy. Uh, but it was an awesome week, too. It was a great week. So before church, Shay was asking me, how was your week? And I'm, I'm playing with him because I started going, man, I am, I'm a, I've been given every spiritual blessing. And I started preaching you know, Ephesians 1 to him. He's like, yeah, but really, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, it's terrible, dude. I'm doing... <laughs> that's what he did too. He started laughing like that. But that's what we do. The Sunday school, in, oh, I'm blessed. And then like later, we're Eeyore. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Right? 
but to remind ourselves and to walk in it like, you know what, we are blessed. Even though things are going crazy around us, I'm blessed. I'm blessed so much so that nothing, moth and rust can't corrupt thieves, politicians can't break in and steal and destroy, right? This heavenly blessings that are mine because I am in Christ Jesus. I'm blessed. You're blessed if you place your faith in Christ. Walk in it. Lead confidently knowing who you are. Don't struggle with who you are so that you can confidently lead the next generation or school, at work, in the community. Lead them confidently to Christ. So I mentioned a while ago the response. I mean, all praise. It should change the way we approach him in praise and glory, to bring glory and honor to him. But I want to go back to verse 14 for a moment just as we close. Verse 14. I love this. It says... <clears throat> I'll go back to 13. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. When you believed in Christ, Romans, the other letter that Paul wrote from prison. No, excuse me, not from prison, but Paul wrote it. Chapter 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Pretty simple, isn't it? For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him? To save them unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Church, that's good news. You heard it, you received it. The good news that God makes you right through Christ Jesus. The good news. Do you know who you are this morning? Do you struggle with your identity? Maybe you've been wrestling with some things. You're like, you know, I know that I believed it for years. I started off really strong, but then, you know, I kind of tripped up into some sin, and I've been just kind of in a foreign land for a while. I'm struggling with my identity. I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even know what I believe anymore. Maybe it's time for us to revisit what God says and to see ourselves through his eyes. You know what he says? You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies if you've placed your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I say, and David says, and we say often, the most important decision you can make in this life is what do you do with Christ, right? Placing your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've not done that yet, I just want you to know the Bible says today is a day of salvation. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I pray that you would respond to that. But Christian, I really am compelled to speak to us today that we know who we are, that we don't struggle with our identity, that we can confidently say, you know what, I know who I am. I'm not worried about what the world says about me. That's another problem we struggle with as Christians. We're so worried about what the world thinks about us. Rain on that. I don't care about that. I know what he says about me. And I'm going to walk forward in that confidence and that identity. And I hope that it makes its way from my brain, even to my heart, into my actions. And so that my words that spill out of my mouth reflect that I believe that truth, that I am who he says that I am. And my actions and my responses to the world and the crazy that goes on around me reflects that I believe the truth. You know what? No matter what happens on this earth, I have an inheritance in heaven that will never, ever, ever be jacked with because it's safe and secure. I am rich in Christ Jesus today. Amen?
Father, I thank you for the truth of Ephesians 1. Lord, I thank you for just that revelation that you give us through Paul. And Paul's heart there is to the Ephesian church that he wants them to know they're really, really rich, but they're walking around as though they're, they're paupers, they're poor. And, and Lord, I think that we can struggle sometimes with the same thing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts that uh, would remind us of who we are in you and that the gospel makes the difference. It doesn't matter how I feel about it or what I think about it, but I'm saved by grace through faith. And when I place my faith in you, everything changed. It's not and changing or is changing or will be changed, but it's the aorist tense. It's done. It was completed in the past. And God, we work from there. That's the foundation that we build our lives on. And so I pray that it would just change our perspective on who we are, that we don't struggle in our position with you, our relationship with you, that we know that's secure because of what Christ did or not what we didn't do. But Father, I pray that you would just help us to have a strong foundation there and that we would move forward from there, that it reflects in our, in our actions and our speech as, Paul, as uh, Paul would later get to in chapter 4 and how it affects the whole life, walking worthy of the calling that we've been called to. So Father, if there's anyone here today that's not placed their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day that they would just trust you, God, and they would be counted among those who have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And God, I pray that you would... Just on a personal note, uh, that you would allow it to spill over um, into the way we conduct ourselves, especially when we meet together for the purpose of praising and worshiping you. Lord, that we would put you on a pedestal. We'd make a big to-do about who you are. I'm not talking about crazy, goofy emotionalism, but we would genuinely give the honor and the praise that's due. When we sing songs that are so deep in theology, and it just like it'd be a, in a football game, it'd be the time we'd jump out of our seats and scream. But, Lord, that we might stand up and say, amen, amen. God, thank you for that. Lord, that it would just change our heart and change our, Lord, worship and our praise of you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth, that's with us until the day that we're called home as a guarantee, Lord, a promise that you will not break, but you're going to come again and receive those that have placed their faith in you to yourself. God, thank you. All praise and all glory and all honor belong to you. Amen.